Welcome to Measures of Truth, a His Dark Materials podcast. I'm Caitlin. I'm Alan. I'm Francis. And I'm Anya. And today we're discussing the first episode of the second season of His Dark Materials, The City of Magpies. This episode was written by showrunner Jack Thorne. It was directed by Jamie Childs, who directed the last two episodes of the previous season. Quick question. Do we know if Jack Thorne, again, wrote the whole season? Uh, The writing credits for every other episode include a woman writer, the different women writers, and then some of the episodes are exclusively written by women writers. It, It seems like he has a writer's room now. I'm so happy. Uh. <laughs> Wait, did you not like <laughs> him as a solo writer? We did talk about this last season, how I thought it would have benefited greatly from some different input on Jack Thorne. I mean, it's it's true of any written thing ever. Like, I mean, I write for my job and getting input from co-authors never makes things worse. It pretty much only makes things yeah. better. Yep. Unless your exactly. co-author is Stephen Moffat. <sighs> Oh, that's a good point, actually, yes. (laughs) Fuck that asshole. Anyways, uh, so this quick summary of uh, this week's episode, Will and Lyra finally meet up in Chitagatsi, and Ruth Wilson is, as always, fucking fabulous. (laughs) That's, yep. Yep. Yeah. (laughs) We should let you write these summaries from now on. (laughs) If you, if you... Sure, sure. <laughs> Everything will be a little blurb, and then Ruth Wilson is fucking fabulous. This is your weekly reminder that real, Ruth, Ruth Wilson is, in fact, amazing. Uh, speaking of which, that that extra voice of Francis, we failed to introduce him uh, when we read through the second book and comment on how he will be a permanent uh, feature of the show. And maybe you didn't follow along with our reading of The Subtle Knife, and you might be wondering, is this the same guy who t- told us about the accents in episode four of season one? But yes, you're right, conscientious listener who remembers the episode numbers of our show. <laughs> he w- I feel so loved. <laughs> he was also there for the season one wrap-up. He was. That's right. That's true. We've accepted a Brit into our inner circle here. <laughs> And also, now we have equal footing, you know, with two Americans and two non-Americans. Yeah. Oh, true. <laughs> <laughs> two Americans and two real humans. Oof. Hey, Ooh. not today, Francis. Let us let us have our moment. <laughs> I enjoy that somehow we're away from uh, the, you know, recording months in advance, but we still have to time date this with it's November 7th, and so good news just happened. Yeah. <laughs> 
I really hope this ages like wine rather than milk. They are releasing a remastered Mass Effect trilogy. We can all celebrate. Oh, I did not hear that good news. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, I'm so happy. Spring 2021. Whoever's editing, can you put in uh, a suicide mission for Mass Effect 2 soundtrack on here? (laughs) (laughs) So good. I'm I'm a big fan of End of an Era from Mass Effect 3. Ooh, that is good. Sorry, is that what that one's called? End of something. End of the world. Or... God, it's not coming up anymore. I know I fucking have it in here. Sorry, this is going to bother me if we move on without me finding it. An end once and for all. Sorry, I combined like five different songs there. God, that's a fabulous <laughs> song. Anyways. Yes. Uh, general feelings. Anya, you're first in the list. <laughs> Sorry. I thought that this was a great start to the season. I thought the sets and the CGI for... Chigatsa were amazing. Um, I thought they did a really good job of rewriting the dialogue between Lyra and Will uh, in order to communicate a lot of the stuff that in the book came across through their inner monologues. Um, And I thought just in general, the whole episode is a great illustration for how to adapt a book as a TV show. They managed to capture the feeling of the book without trying to copy everything exactly. Um, so that's exactly what you want from an adaptation like this. I agree completely. It was so good. It made me so excited for the season ahead. I immediately wanted to watch the next episode, and it was really difficult not to. <laughs> the design of Chitagatsu was so good. I really loved how they had the staircases that emulate the stairs in the opening credits. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then had them sitting on opposite sides talking. So good. Yeah. I, I loved every minute of it. Well, not every minute. Sorry. <laughs> I loved <laughs> I loved every minute with Will and Lyra. Yeah, yeah I, I agree with both of you. Uh, when we talked about the first episode of the first season, the look of the show was like gorgeous. And I think this continues that. There's like amazing use of shadow and light. The moonlit meeting of the witches was beautiful there's like there's so much beauty in this show and i really love chitigatse and all of the like straight lines and right angles and the texture of everything it's really good yeah i mean i agree with everything that everyone has said i thought that it was an absolutely fantastic star it the thing the overriding feeling going through it and after i'd watched it was i want more and so mm-hmm. i mean what what more can you say that is a perfect first episode okay what was everyone's favorite parts we can mix it up if we want but we can just go on a list if we don't i really really loved the dynamic between lyra and pan it already feels like they're using the demons a lot better in season two than they did in season one. I think that was like one of our big complaints yeah. about season one was that the demons like weren't pro- as prominent as we wanted them to be. And they just like felt really mm-hmm. underemphasized compared to the books. And like, just like right away, we're just getting like such great stuff between Lyra and Pan. Um, and he feels like a much more integral part of the story now. 
Um, I also loved the dynamic between Lyra and Will, um, which, you know, not that I was worried, but it's great to have confirmation that the actors have good chemistry together. And then oh, that scene in the interrogation where they're pulling the cloud pine leaves out of the, the witch in the torture scene. It's like, it's so horrifying without being gory. Um, that mm. was just like such an yeah. excellent touch for them to add. Um, and I love how it builds on the world building from the book. A witch's cloud pine. <laughs> is it true that within it is your ability to fly? Your ability to use magic? What is within me is faster than anything you can imagine. I also really liked that. That was good. like it. I had a visceral like ugh reaction to it, so mm-hmm. it was really well done. But again, there was no like blood everywhere and stuff. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm against that but you know they did it really well and it makes me wonder like how early they had that planned right because we saw the scarification on seraphina in season one so like i mean i'm guessing that they maybe had this planned from the very beginning and so like that is like really excellent excellent um production and execution of that i completely agree that it was a fantastic torture scene in that it was not at all gratuitous and yet Mm. got the revulsion and the emotional impact of a torture scene through perfectly while still keeping it like it was almost the opposite of game of thrones where in in that you get things which are gratuitously violent not not that i don't like it i really enjoyed game of thrones but like it was gratuitously violent which desensitized you and kind of took away a bit of the emotion because it was approaching it from a very practical sort of shock standpoint, whilst this was very much more, hey, um, this is utterly terrifying and feels completely wrong, but it's not in any manner gory. It's not in any manner gratuitous. It's just very impactful. I feel like I read somewhere that somebody described the show as like Game of Thrones for the whole family. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Less incest. That's perfect. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think the torture is like really on theme too because she's like literally, you know, according to what she says, this is what allows you to do magic, right? So she's like literally mm. pulling out her witch identity. Like you know, like the way mm. that we're severing the children from their demons, the way that the specters hollowed out that man who was filling his water, like she's doing that to the witch it, slowly. You were saying about the scarification. It made me think, Caitlin, um, didn't they shoot these seasons back to back or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. They pretty much shot this one right away. Yeah. So they must have known, right? That, that was just always the plan, probably. Yeah. Uh, so my favorite bit was actually that that final sort of sequence with um, Lyra checking the alethiometer while Will approaches the tower and there's the scene and the the specter. 
and everything. I, I gasped I audibly loved that, when I yeah. saw that. I loved that whole sequence. I It was beautifully done. It was well shot. It was so well acted. Uh, speaking of, like, doing better with the demons, like, in that scene where she's looking at the alethiometer, I loved that they had Pan there, and you could tell that he was like, what's happening? What's going... Like, he was interested. He wanted to know what she was reading. And it, it didn't even... Like, I noticed that they didn't have him touching her, which in the book, he absolutely would have been right there reading the alethiometer with her. But it didn't matter, because you could tell that they put personality into him there. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. and that's the kind of shit that we were talking about. Right. Yeah, that's good. And also, um, and just the, the music and the scenery and how they decided to have the specters affect the electricity to give it that creepy feel when they come by. So smart. Yeah. And just really yeah. well done. I really liked how they showed that Will was feeling a connection to that tower. Uh, I think that that sets things up really nicely. Mm-hmm. And also, completely separate from all that, they had Pan for a moment as a red panda, which was the best fucking thing ever. <laughs> he was so cute. I love red pandas. I wanted to hug him. Moving on. Uh, my favorite bit was Lyra pinning Will to the table in exactly the same way that Asriel pinned her to the table in the first episode of season one. I did not make that connection. That is very good. Oh, yeah. It's like it's the angle of the shot is the same and like everything. Like it's clearly on purpose. It's kind of like what Anya was saying about the relationship between Pan and Lyra. There's a lot of like unconscious stuff under the surface with Lyra. And I feel like this is like Asriel's in there, right? Like she's wrestling with the whole like, why don't you love me? thing still and uh her identity and what it all means and yeah so she like does his finisher on will and then (laughs) you know the rest of the episode is basically her doing the opposite from asriel i think forming a connection with will when in the first episode asriel refused to form a connection with her and she like acknowledges through the alethiometer how special will is in exactly the same way that Azriel would not recognize that lyra is special so it's like all inverted and she's like working on her shit unlike her father who just stuffs it down harder and harder and harder so to the person who ends up editing this please put in the everyone's special (laughs) (laughs) perfect so my favorite part was probably the specters and the reason there is just that they were so perfectly realized i find that for a lot of this kind of general trope within media they're they're often realized as this sort of very conscious very actively evil sort of phenomenon and in this particular um rendition they are not They are much more of a natural evil. They're much more of an evil of circumstance rather than necessarily a conscious evil. So in the same way that Ebola is an evil in that by its very nature, it lives by killing other things. That's what it does. And in the same manner, the spectres aren't trying 
to kill people. They're just trying to do the only thing that they can do. And that really comes across in this representation where they feel like they're purely acting on instinct. And that's the only thing that drives them. We'll see more of that later. Yeah, they do feel a lot more like organic than I would have guessed based on the book. Um, like all those yes. like tentacles and and you know flesh and shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you're I, actually Anya. I think you're right on with that because like so much of Sitagatse is those right angles and stuff. You know, it's very like geometric. And there's very few like curved lines, but the specter for the brief moment that we get to see it is all curved lines, right? Like it just doesn't mm-hmm. fit mm-hmm. in. And all of the organic stuff around Sitagatse is like kind of, it's not rotting, but it's like, you know, it's not in full summer bloom, you know, that like the vines are a little bit brown and, and like everything is kind of creepy because of that. That's organic and they do feel very organic in that way. Mm. Just, just a point on uh, Sitagatsu. How did everyone feel about that representation? Because to me, it wasn't how I imagined it in, the, in my head when I was reading the books. I imagined it as a sort of beachside Florence sort of deal. Mm-hmm. And instead, we get what is essentially Tiny King's Landing. Yeah, I I agree. It was absolutely not how I pictured it at all, um, but I also loved it. Oh, yeah. I'm not saying it's bad. It's just not what I thought. Yeah, I definitely imagined it a bit more flat um, and like we don't spend that much time on the beach. We spend a lot more time in the city. Uh, Yeah, I just imagined it kind of like more flat and expansive and a little bit less like cramped and windy feeling yeah i I imagined it like like a a kind of seaside town that had spread and so it was windy in that there was a lot of stuff sort of packed in over time in like the old docklands and places like that but it didn't feel to me like this sort of again gondor or similar where it's very tiered and very um it looked a bit like uh, mont saint michel and places like that Mm -hmm. where just big tall almost imposing and that wasn't that wasn't my impression but it wasn't bad that it was like that i really liked it and i think that it's related to the thing that anya talked about earlier with the scarring that this is the same place that we saw in the sky of the first season like one for one you know we were seeing a kind of vision of heaven you know like a metaphorical like there's a palace in the sky kind of a thing and this is like a very vertiginous city, the way that you're saying. And uh, uh, it's, you know, it's very vertical. And, mm-hmm. and that's like what we got to see in the visions of the city in the sky. It's like, it was very vertical because it's accentuated like that tower and the angels, you know, like it's all heaven bound. Like the entire city is like pushing towards that place in a way. You know what I mean? It's like a capstone mm. to it. And so from a storytelling thing like that, I think that's a good design where it feels like you, the tower is not just like a tall place in the middle of a sprawl. It's as if everything about the city is going towards that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So least favorite parts. Yeah. So my my least favorite part was just that there were 
a few exposition dumps which kind of didn't sit well with me it took me out of the moment a bit when it's but i guess because we read the book so recently just looking at how they sort of packed everything in all at the same time and so that there was a few bits where they make some decisions which seem rash because it's essentially just dumping on us hey uh i can't remember i can't remember what it was off the top of my head um and i didn't write it down because i was watching but it was there were just some things which they kind of concluded and things which they decided and they were like oh yeah well i guess we'll all rub along happily now and you go well but that's it didn't happen like that in the books for a reason and the reason was that neither of them are particularly quick to trust anybody and it sort of just felt rushed because of that so i would have either preferred less exposition in the same amount of time or more time for that exposition to go on it felt just a tiny bit rushed this like pairs pretty nicely with my complaint and basically like our main complaints about season one especially in that first episode was a little bit crunched in in the way that you're saying i feel like will has not had the space to develop correctly either in the same way like we spent time mm-hmm. with will in the first season but if you haven't read the books will is a supporting character to his mother you know in in like a subplot about lord boreal and in the final (laughs) episode i mean literally he is in in the final episode you find out through the alethiometer you know that fra pavel has that um that will is the important one and lord boreal is like ah i got i he slipped through my fingers right and so like we don't know a whole lot about Will because the focus of that story was on Lord Boreal and Will's mother. Will feels like Lyra's sidekick here in this episode to me a little bit. We're not getting... At the end there, we start to get some good interiority for him and we end on that, which gives me hope that we're going to spend a little bit more time getting to know him and his, uh, you know, what he wants and needs and his weaknesses and strengths and all of that stuff, but he's a little undercooked, unlike his omelets. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little bit. Full of eggshells. Oh my God. That was <laughs> so good. <laughs> I loved that. <laughs> Lyra, Lyra is a whole lockdown mood right there. <laughs> Just like patting the egg into the floor. It's fine. <laughs> Yeah, someone else will deal with that. Oh my god, actually, can I go back? Because that moment where she asked Will if he was a kitchen boy might have been my favorite moment. Amazing omelette. If you have omelettes in your body. So you're a kitchen boy then? What? In your world, you're a kitchen boy. No. It's like, am I a what? Oh, I did like that. <laughs> and I actually do enjoy how he's just like, no, and then doesn't explain anything about his world. Yeah. <laughs> just like, <Yeah>. no, <laughs> and leaves. <laughs> I have two least favorite bits, and one of them is definitely the opening with the unnecessarily prologue voiceover that was just bad. <laughs> and like, such a turnoff. Like, if I was flipping through channels and saw that, I'd be like, nope. <laughs> 
<laughs> keep going. Like, I don't understand why they felt the need to do it. Yeah, I agree. Especially since they go on to talk about the prophecy. Like, you just didn't need it. It was completely unnecessary. Mm -hmm. Why not just put in, like, a here's what happened in season one thing before that, you know, and just show some clips, get there, done. If that's what they were trying to do, it was the opposite of that. The other one, obviously, is the switcheroo with uh, Ruta and Serafina, which, in a way, I don't mind, because I like that they seem to be giving Ruta a different personality than her shithead yes, of one yes, in the book. Yes, yes, yes. I like, oh my god, I was so happy when I was like, they're giving her something to do. Yeah, I like yeah. that. But at the same time, they just completely character assassinated Serafina, who was just like, oh, we don't care about this witch that's been captured. Yeah. Like, what? No. Okay, yeah, yeah. That was... This witch. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they gave Serafina nothing in that scene other than she's going to stare deeply into Lin-Manuel Miranda's eyes. Like, ugh, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't have much Serafina in season one, although she did have that really great scene with What's-His-Face. That was good. And... I just want more Serafina. I love Serafina, and I think they're doing her a disservice. Fodacorum. Yeah, Fodacorum. Thank you. Um, but no, my actual least favorite was that goddamn unnecessary voiceover that was so awkward and terrible. <laughs> and it's the first thing you see, so I was immediately like, ugh, like just turned off immediately. But then everything after that was great. So, And we're, okay, so I was confused about something. In the witch scene there, are there demons talking to each other? Yeah, is that Ruta Ruta's... and Serafina's yeah. demon, yeah. Okay, so that's Ruta's demon. That's what uh, that, I was... Yeah, that I kind of liked, how the demons were kind of having it out. Yeah, I like it too. At the same time. Mm. Yes, yeah. Yeah, I think that also shows that they were, that they are, you know, trying to do more with the demons. Yeah. Um, And show the connection more. And I am here to beg you... Serafina Pekela and all the sisters here, join me in rescuing Katya. I believe we have no choice. The prophecy was clear. We must find the child. The prophecy is not all there is. You risk too much. The Magisterium has thrived under your indifference. Brutus Gardi will show them we are indifferent no more, with or without your clan's help. If Seraphina's demon had been a fucking goose, there would have been no doubt. Was all I'm saying. Because <laughs> yeah. there would have been a goddamn Accurate. goose on that screen. And not just, oh, a bird of prey talking to another bird of prey that looks pretty much the same. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Jesus. It was very confusing. Also, didn't, in, in that same scene, I swear that uh, when Seraphina gives Lee the flower... She picks it off the ground. Because here she just sort of mystically conjured it and it felt very... It just felt like a very strange decision when there are flowers on the ground. Well, Why would you conjure it's the... It's part of the cloud pine that's supposed to be inside of her the way that it is in the witch that's being tortured. So she like... Oh, it I thought it was just body. a flower. No, it's the cloud pine. Oh, well then why don't they have her pull it out of her body rather than just summon it? I agree with your complaint. I was just specifying <laughs> that it was a different thing. I was confused about that too. So yeah. I'm it, afraid it that they are, sorry to interrupt. I'm afraid that they are setting up a sort of romance angle between uh, Serafina and what's-his-face. No. And I don't Lee. want that at all. Lee, yeah. No. Uh, I was just coming up with Lynn. Um, 
<laughs> and, and I I just don't want that at all. But eh. yeah. I mean, he's going to go off now, so they're not going to talk until later. So it's fine. It didn't add anything, which yeah. is weird because it was meant to be like a big meeting of the witches and the first, like really the first big meeting of the witches. In the book, I rem- if I remember correctly, they're kind of almost it's almost a surprise that Ruta appears. Yeah, mm-hmm. I thought I thought of it as this like grand gathering in the same way of the as the uh, Egyptians have this grand almost kind of yeah. king's moot, and yeah. I, I thought of this as a sort of queen's moot, and then it just sort of disappeared, and it felt like you know their weekly coffee morning. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what's what's Anya's least favorite? Well, I'm also going to complain about witches. Uh, <laughs> the flying CGI is not great. That seems to be the bad bo- wolf uh, weak point across both of their shows <laughs> that we've watched. With with flying yep. witches? Yeah. Yep. Um, thankfully, it was like pretty minimal. I think they tried to make it as short and sweet as possible. Yeah, and honestly, I'm okay with it if they're putting their money into the demons where it does where it belongs. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and, and the specters because the specters look great. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Shitty flying. That's fine. Like the witches council scene more generally, it wasn't terrible, but it was the worst part of the episode. Um, given that the rest of the episode was so good, I yeah. think in general, like inspirational speeches given to a group of people are hard to make interesting in general. That's like one of the big complaints about Buffy season seven. Mm -hmm. Anyway, had to bring Buffy in here if there's any, uh, the loosest possible connection at all. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't, I didn't know anyone who liked Buffy. (laughs) It it was just a little bit boring and flat and kind of cliche. But it also felt that way in the book. So, you know, par for the course there, I guess. I forget, at that meeting, like, Ruder was going to go kill the witch. Lee was, again, even more out of fucking nowhere than in the book. He was like, I'm going to go find Grumman. Yeah. <laughs> but whatever. I, like, yeah. I didn't know it could get more out of nowhere, but they managed it. Um <laughs> Yeah. And but did Serafina say what she was gonna do? I'm that scene comes down basically to Serafina saying that the prophecy has kicked off and we need to focus on making this thing happen. And Ruta is basically like, We're at war and you need to wake up to the fact that we are at war and focus okay. on reality instead of this prophecy. And that seems to be like the factions that they want to establish in that dynamic okay so we still don't see that also upsets me because like seraphina not in that way but in the book at least she would be like you know you want to go fight a war go fight a war i'm gonna focus on lyra Mm -hmm. and it wasn't the prophecy it was you know she liked lyra well maybe it was a little bit the prophecy but they had more of a connection in the book than they do in the show i guess Uh, for the record i really like the cgi flying (laughs) But what? Just, I, I had do, nothing against it, actually. It was it, quick I think and it's in rad. the dark, and really like it was it. fine. It's, but, you know, for me, I, it's like I grew up on superhero comic books and stuff. They fly like Superman. I think it's cool. I think I would have preferred them to be flying on, like, on the cloud pines, like real witches. Like a stick. But I didn't... Like those yeah, real yeah. witches yeah. that we have and we see all the time? Yeah. Like the actual witches. Okay. Trust me. 
Like, like yeah. okay, you okay. might not have them over there, but we've got loads over here. And they're gotcha, great. Gotcha. They come round, they bring coffee. It's grand. It's brilliant. Fly in, they park up in the woods, can't even tell. Um <laughs> But I I I do agree with Alan that it's probably the best way that you can do it whilst getting across that they're flying really fast it's just that it's kind of always quite hard to get across that they're flying like fast and powerfully when they're essentially just a human shape floating you're right about that I, there are weaknesses for sure i'm just wanted to put out there that i have bad taste this way <laughs> i would disagree with that <laughs> Uh, any problematics this episode? I didn't personally notice any. I mean, there's the anti-problematic of race bending Ruta. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. It was great. I, um, I love that. The performance came across as a little bit cheesy to me, but I think that's just because I hate speeches. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'm really looking forward to seeing what the actress can do in... Um, like a more interesting and subtle uh, character situation. I'm I'm hoping they give her stuff to do and and she excels at it. I'm hoping they give Seraphina stuff to do. <laughs> yeah. Ugh, like I'm all for making Ruta a better character, but please don't sacrifice one of my favorite characters. I don't want to have to say that Ruta was my favorite. God. Ugh. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Yeah, because it, it shouldn't be a whole pie equation, right? Like, you can add to one without taking away from the other. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean... Hmm. Yeah. I would love for people who, like, didn't listen to our book thing and, like... Oh, yeah. Then haven't why read do the they book hate this woman so much? Like, she hasn't done What is anything. the problem? <laughs> yeah. She's been, like, a little bit cheesy and overwrought. Like, <laughs> what is... Please, please no. let us know what you think about our reactions so far. This is not unconscious bias. This is full conscious bias. Yeah. <laughs> I would actually be really interested in hearing what people who have not read the book think of Ruta Scotty, especially as the season goes on. Oh, yeah. No, I that's, that a, would that's be a good point. Very interesting. Yeah. Definitely. As a complete aside, when I was taking notes while watching the episode, I wrote down, maybe they're just never going to discuss it. But like, what? What was I talking about? Who? I didn't put any hints in there for myself. I have no idea what that was about. So I, I, I had some notes with like the scene with Will was great. Thanks, me. Oh, and I have Scardy sucks. <laughs> okay. Um, so let's just get into the episode in general. What Did anybody else have anything in particular they wanted to discuss? Wait, I have one more favorite scene between Will and Lyra. Let's hear it. That The whole, like, stand-up shower thing, or stand-up bath. That was um, good. Like, him trying to explain what a shower is. That yeah. was, like, yeah. comedic gold. Shower. Washing. You wash. Yeah, up. Uh- a sink or in a bath? Showers are like baths, but standing up. Hmm. Well, at least consider it. And if you change your mind, go towel and soap. I'll take the first shower. I don't need a stand up bath, do I? 
That's one question you don't have to ask the alethiometer. Because also, if, if someone explained it like that to you, you go, no, I don't want a stand-up bath, like, basically drowning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. Piss off. I love that juxtaposition of her character, where, like, she's so snobby about certain things. Like, ugh, I don't cook. What am I, a kitchen boy? But she's also just, like, so dirty and, you know, uncouth in other ways. Um compared to Will. Because she's a kid, right? Like, that's a very kid thing, right? Like, no, I'm not taking a bath. Like, I have two kids. It is a nightmare to get them to bathe every day. (laughs) It's also just very Lyra, that scene. I, like, it felt like they just nailed book Lyra on the head there. Yeah. In a really good way. Mm -hmm. I did feel that Lyra was overall a lot more likable in this show than she is in the books because she <laughs> I, I, I just occasionally it pops up to me that she sucks she's like she really sucks <laughs> and then Aww. like in the show she's more redeemable at most points i think I you're being a little harsh about... on someone who's essentially like an orphan who's just gone <laughs> through like a very traumatic experience yeah yeah i am <laughs> <laughs> I have never felt that way about Lyra in the books that she sucks. No, she's fabulous and I love her. She can do no wrong her. as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I I love her, but she is I don't want to say she reminds me of me in that <laughs> she thinks she knows way more than she does and she is very convinced about these things which she knows about, which is everything. <laughs> but that's pretty much exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> so what you're saying is it's self-loathing projected outward. <laughs> My life is self-loathing projected outward. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, so is it just me or the dude, that, the cardinal that they murder, that's not in the book, is it? No. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's what I thought. he's not murdered yet. He's badly wounded, right? Yeah, and they're just letting God take care of it. Yeah, I love that. That was so good. Mm. Oh, that was so good. Uh, Every fucking word out of Ruth Wilson's mouth was so good. They write her so well, and she acts it so well. Mm -hmm. And it's perfect. And even in that scene, like, his little wasp demon, like, it's not really doing anything, but it's doing something in the scene. So I think that's just, like, another example of how the demons are used way better Mm. this season than they were before. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I really loved the scene with all the the men talking, all the magisterium is the word I'm talking about, because, and then, and then like, Ruta comes in, or <laughs> Mrs. Coulter, there we go, Jesus, um, comes in and sort of takes control, and it was, A, it was really well done and well written, and somehow they, they put in her saying everyone's name as, like, a, this is who these people are, <laughs> and it didn't feel clunky. It worked, and I was just very yeah. impressed with that scene, and how the scene where she like kisses his hand, and you can see his face and her face, and in the back you can see yeah. uh, Father McPhail, and you and it's well, so well shot, so well acted, just fabulous. You know, I look around this room, and I see failure. Father McPhail, who failed to even emerge from Azrael's laboratory, Fra Pavel 
who couldn't read his alethiometer to see what was happening. I am not immune from failure myself. I didn't reach Azrael in time, and I vow now never to fail again. This witch. You believe you can find an answer to what Azrael did? Well, I believe that I am more persuasive than most. Test me on what I discover. And if I discover nothing, then do your worst. I agree, except that in the age of COVID, watching her kiss the ring, I was like, don't do it, don't do it, it's dirty, you're gonna die. Do you imagine if she got out some alcohol spray and just yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Like, if you watch that scene, the two of them are, like, very dark, and they're kind of, like, limbed in light, like, there's a, a outline around their silhouettes, and that, but then everybody in the background is really well lit. The same thing happens in the scene with the witches, where like Lee and uh, Serafina are very, very dark, but then all the witches behind them are like, you can see them really well. It's so smart because like it draws your eye to them, but then it's also like super atmospheric. And I think that even in that scene that you're talking about, they play with the focus uh, at the same time. So like McPhail is blurry. And then as she pulls away from kissing the ring, he comes into focus and it draws your eye to him. And it's so it tells you like what to pay attention to. Right. Like it's and it's like drawing you towards like, no, she's taking the power away from me. Like, you know what I mean? Like there's you can Mm -hmm. feel the tug of war that's happening there where the cardinal is trying to pull her towards him. And he doesn't understand that she is like yanking McPhail around with him. It's, it's so smart. Mm-hmm. And then, okay, so one thing that did happen on the submarine, well, it's just a continuing problem, is the overpowered witches. Mm-hmm. She just mm-hmm. came in and murdered everyone. I I do like, I, I like how the submarine has the big, like, magisterium symbol on it. Like, that's really important. You know, like, you know, like how so the, the Catholic Church does that with all their cars, you know? They have, like, a big cross right on the front of all of them. Because... This is a Christian car. It's really, it's weird. <laughs> but I like it. It's such like a weird comic book thing to do. Where like, you know, G.I. Joe and Cobra or like the, you know, like the Autobots and the Decepticons. You got to have that emblem out there. Mate, branding. If you're going to, if, yeah. <laughs> if you're going to do a fascist organization, you've got to brand it well. Right. right. That a lot, though. We saw that symbol so much this yeah, episode yeah, yeah. like the camera yeah. would linger on it yeah and it was like yeah uh-huh yep we get it we Fascist. know yeah it was very interesting it was it, yeah it was genuinely interesting in how it set the scene as well so this doesn't okay to get back to what caitlin was actually saying uh this yes, sorry. <laughs> this doesn't answer the question that i asked in the Balvanger episode from the previous season which was like is this a thing that queen witches can do 
and no other witches? Or is this like every witch can become the Flash? Like, I love it. Like, it's so cool. <laughs> and I love the special effect around yeah. it. it. It looks like she's like turning into dust. Like, I have questions based on the visuals. But That's what dust is. This whole time, it's just yeah, witches on it's their way witches. between places. Witch bits. Yeah. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> But it is overpowered. Yeah. And in our episode on the books, I think I talked about at length how much I really loved the way that Serafina has to work at her invisibility. And it's not really mm. like a true invisibility the way we usually think of superpowers. It's more like a glamour or something where it like tricks the human's brain into not paying attention to her. Rather mm-hmm. than like truly being see through, mind trick or like transparent, yeah, and how it just like adds a layer of tension and and does make it seem like more visceral and real and and earned. And this goes completely against all of that. Um, I didn't hate it, but I can see why people would. I think. I think it's interesting visually, and I think they wanted to do something interesting visually. Yeah, and uh, and I think that's the main reason why I didn't like it was just because it looked fucking cool. Yeah. (laughs) But, so, and I don't mind it. I have nothing against it as it is. It's just, like, they keep talking about a war. Like, why don't the witches just kill all the Magisterium people that way? Why don't they just go into their headquarters all black smoky and stab everyone? Yeah, war one. Yeah. (laughs) That's a question you have to answer when you do this. It's the same thing that people who watch the Lord of the Rings movies and don't read the books, they're like, well, why didn't they just fly there on the eagles? Like, no, and that's a legitimate who, question. The people who read the books ask that question, too. I was trying to, shh, no, don't let them know that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, like, I really enjoyed it being this tense scene where I nearly said Ruta, and it's not... Rude to Scardi, it is Serafina, where she's sneaking in and it's all stealthy and really tense, and then she has to fight her way out rather than just blazing her way in. It's sort of the Call of Duty approach. And <laughs> like, it wasn't that I didn't like it, it was just that I preferred the invisible approach, but it was still really cool. What would be the optimum? What would we what would we prefer? Uh, that they just cut Rudiscati out. <laughs> <laughs> she is unnecessary. Yeah. Um, I I should say nothing against the actress. I'm sure she's great, and I don't. And I like what they're doing with her so far. So maybe I should just shut up. But fuck, I hate Rudiscati. <laughs> did we? Sorry. Did we want to just while we're still on the submarine? Did we want to talk about how that all ends with Lyra's mom and dad? Having an alliance. <laughs> to, you want to I explain should... what you mean? Yes, sorry. <laughs> so, <laughs> so to uh, to specify, obviously, Mrs. Coulter is Lyra's mother, and uh, the actor who plays Father McPhail is Daphne Keene's father. Oh my god! I somehow completely forgot that, or never knew it. That's yeah. amazing. <laughs> So that's what I mean when I refer to them as... Because obviously Lord Azrael is Lyra's father, but you know what I'm saying. We need to talk as soon as we can. I shall find the finest physicians to tend to him. Well, you couldn't. What are you proposing? 
If he lives, it's clear the authority wants him to lead. If he dies, then a choice has been made. The Magisterium needs strong leadership. Not a bloated man who never knew how to turn down a glass of wine. Mrs. Coulter, why should I trust you after what happened? I explain what happened. I made sure you were safe, and I continued up the mountain. But this is not about trust. This is about faith. You heard the man. He'd seal up the world. He'd try to persuade people that this never happened. And you and I both know the Magisterium cannot survive that it needs you. And in return for this council, or this support. I give this counsel because I believe in the right path. And yes, with you in place I can pursue other interests. What interests? It's not your concern. I will tell everyone on the ship that the Cardinal has specifically requested to be left alone in prayer and I will personally tend to his wounds. Murder. Make it my sin as a first act of service. He doesn't trust her, but he realizes that she's his best bet right now, I think. Yeah. To me, watching that, I was like, I mean, obviously we have extra information about Miss Coulter, but she's so obviously not doing this because she's in it for him like he should (laughs) like expect that she's a bad actor and he just doesn't he seems to be like oh yeah well uh i mean yeah i'm 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 up for this sorry which which one father mcphail or the cardinal Father McPhail. Okay. But where the- he McPhails at working out <laughs> what she's up to. I don't I don't mind that because she's very clear that like look that he dies, you get to be in charge or not even he dies. They leave it up to God. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. Um and then that. Father McPhail gets to be in charge and she's very clearly she just says and then I can do whatever the fuck I want and he's like you do whatever the fuck you want. I'm in charge. That sounds like a good plan to me. Yeah, because McPhail like clearly doesn't agree with the Cardinal in that scene about the response to like, there's literally like a tear in the sky. That's all like, it's a neon white. And the Cardinal's like, it's cool. No one knows. And he's like, come on. Are you for real? (laughs) It's like that reaction gif where it's like heartbreaking. The worst person you know has just made an excellent point. You know, like, <laughs> that's what's happening in that moment. He's like, Ugh, I like, I hate you and I don't want to like you, but what you're saying makes sense and our, like, goals are at this point strategically aligned. So, okay, fine. Yeah, like, I don't even think she's lying in that scene. I think she's genuinely like, dude, we evil. Let's be evil. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like. <laughs> All right, so that's that's pretty much what happens with the Magisterium folks. Um Do you want to talk about the new opening credits? They're good. Thank you. 
Thank you for making this a podcast. <laughs> You're <with> welcome. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Done. Uh, I really liked them. I liked that uh, Daphne Keene and Amir Wilson got top billing together. That was nice. And I liked oh, yeah. the knife. And mm. I liked how they had Chitagatsi as the main world at the end. Yeah, yeah. that's cool. That was really good. It's and it's like similar enough that if you weren't really paying attention, you might e- not even notice that it's different. Again, really like Game of Thrones. Yeah, but it pays off yeah. careful mm. observation. But for the family, remember, Game of Thrones, but for the whole family. <laughs> if you look at the old credits, the Chitigatse was always there too. Yeah, but it wasn't the Ooh. main the main pullout. Right, yeah. It was two worlds yeah. below, because it was like Lyra's world, then Will's world below it, and then Chittagatsa down there is the third one. That's so cool. And going in from that when we go into Lyra exploring Chittagatsa on her own and talking with Pan, A, that's great. I, I love that Pan is such a character. And then I really, really loved, because this is like straight out of things that we talked about on this podcast, that Lyra was immediately distrusting of the alethiometer because it wasn't telling her the whole truth, or it was telling her its truth. And that's like conversations that we've had about how there's different alethiometers helping different people, and if this is a consciousness answering, then it must have motivation, and I, I love that a lot. Yeah, I agree. For her not to trust the alethiometer is super interesting, I think, for this episode. It's the main conflict of this episode for her, like, internally, is getting over that, right? And using it again. Yeah. Yeah, it's really good. And I actually, that's one of the things that I like better than in the book. Because in the book, she trusted it, it no, implicitly? No. Yeah. Is that the right word? Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. She yeah. trusted it without problem. Should we ask the alethiometer where everyone is? No, we're not asking that thing anything. Not yet. I think we can trust it. It's never lied to us. Without it, would Roger have died? No. We need to make our own way now. Oh, and then right after that, you know, she and Will meet. Like, how did we feel about them bringing up that you're not supposed to touch another person's demon? That was the one thing that Francis and I talked about. I thought it was cute. He hated it. Yeah, didn't like it. Again, it was. It, I think that was part of the exposition dump. Yeah, if I remember correctly, and it was just like, yeah. There's so many ways that that could have been brought up, and instead it was like, oh, by the way, uh, not meant to touch demons. Not going to explain why. It's just not really done. It's interesting to see how now that they're in, now that they have people with demons talking to people without demons, they can they finally have a reason to explain demons. Mm-hmm. You know, because yeah. if they if Lyra had started explaining her demon to I don't know Farter Corum, <laughs> that would have seemed stupid. <laughs> yeah. So I like that they took the opportunity. I think it was clunky though. I don't think they got across how serious not touching another demon is. Obviously, because they just it was just weird. Um, so I'm interested to see how that will play out later. Um, does anyone have anything else in particular that they want to discuss? I did kind of feel like uh, there is the thing that we talked about at the end of the book and at the end of the previous season about like the switcheroo that happens with the window, Will's window into this world and how... That's what my note is about. There you go. Maybe they're just not even going to discuss it. That's what it is. Wait, discuss what? 
So the window that Lord Boreal uses to get to Oxford is the same one that Will used to get to Chittagatse, which would be confusing if you have only watched the show and they don't explain anything about it in this episode. Oh, like, why doesn't he? Because L- Boreal has to find another window in Chittagatse, right? Well, he didn't go he... to Ch- that. That window goes to Lyra's Oxford from Lyra's Oxford to Will's, Will's Oxford. Oxford. Right, right, right. And then suddenly it goes to Chittagatse. Why? We don't explain in this episode. So I think that would be confusing if you haven't read the books. And the answer but, uh, is because everything shifted when Lord... The answer is we don't know. Oh. Like, there is no explanation. So, oh, like, right, right. Because we... in the book, we don't see Lord Boreal going between the Oxfords. Yeah. Right. Right, right. Okay. Yeah. This is all so, coming back to me. I remember complaining <laughs> about this now. <laughs> yeah. So it's just a little bit confusing. I don't think they had time in this episode. There's certainly no reason why these characters would like, there's no reason for them to talk about it or address it. But I like, if you're just watching the show, you might be like, wait a minute, why is Will, you know, in the same place that she is, if they're in a different world, like that's not where that portal goes. And you just have to trust the show is going to answer that. But, um, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a, it's a hiccup. That's going to be a bitch to edit because I assumed my thing earlier about talking about my note would be taken out. I don't know. Whatever. I'm sorry. But I feel really good now that I figured that we figured that out together. There you go. I mean, I guess there are a couple other like key moments from the book that might be worth discussing just from an adaptation perspective. One is the um, alethiometer telling Lyra that Will is a murderer. Did you like the adapted version of that? Because we talked about it quite a bit in our book discussion. Yeah, I was 100% down with that just because the show Lyra is different than book Lyra. Mm -hmm. And this Lyra wouldn't be like, oh, he's a murderer. Great. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and like even even in the book, she even thought, you know, York was a murderer or whatever. And he was fabulous. So that made perfect sense to me that they would be like, it's not that she trusts murderers. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, because this is like the climax of the episode is like yeah. her finally getting over her thing and like using the alethiometer and then uh, and she's kind of discussing it with herself, right? Her conversation with Pan, this is another good use of the demons. Yeah, that, I think that whole thing is really, really good. And the way that we're intercutting between Will and Lyra throughout that whole sequence too. And like she is getting insight into his identity and we seem to be getting some kind of insight into his, like is he's feels drawn to the tower in some way and it's all creepy and builds to a climax and then credits. And it's like, Oh, that's, that was good. Oh yeah. Uh, teleology. I just wanted to say the word out loud while we're talking about (laughs) will being drawn to the tower. (laughs) Right. Oh, that little one. We haven't talked about that. I know. In a while. It's, wow, we're like almost an hour and a half into our recording, and well, and, and Pan even says it to her. He says, "You can read that thing for a reason, right?" Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, I did also just want to mention that we saw Hester. So oh yeah, and Hester note. has a little heater. Yeah, so good. I love Hester. So cute. Fix my heater yet? Peter's still busted. Compass, too. Compass has got fritzed by the storm. Lee, you're being strange. I'm not being strange. 
The whole world is talking about that tear in the sky. The witches will want us to join the fight. We're not here to talk about the fight. We're here to talk about Lyra and see if the witches can help us. You might know this weapon we're looking for. Lee, look. Isn't that something? I I don't know if it was just this episode or if I felt this way in season one also, but I just really wanted to hug like all of the demons. I just two. really wanted to, especially <laughs> when Pan was a was a red panda. But I would take almost any of his forms. It was they were really good. That's and all. he became a magpie, right? And that's where he was like, "I'm not hiding." I'm yeah, not yeah, hiding. yeah, yeah, yeah. That was yeah. good, actually. It was really good. Um. So I guess the other scene that I wanted to talk about was the scene with the cat and the children fighting, because that is also like a pretty important scene in the book. Um, what did you guys think about it? Did the the kids come across as like sufficiently malicious and scary? No, I don't like the oh. the I don't like the city kids so far um, in terms of an adaptation. I they speaking made both of, of them... Game of Thrones, we have. Uh, was Lady Liana. Liana Mormont, yeah. yeah. Like, I knew that going in, but I'd forgotten. And while I was watching this scene with the cat, I was like, man, she looks familiar. Yeah. <laughs> Who is that? And then I remembered. I was like, oh, I fucking knew that. What am I talking about? It's a, it's a small island. <laughs> what do you want? There's yeah. only so many yeah. actors. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't like that they made both of them uh, girls, which might sound like a weird complaint. Uh, it's not usually the kind of thing that I would complain about. But I, I think that there's... Why bother to have two of them if you're going to make them hard to tell apart? Like having one be a boy and one be a girl the way that it is in the book, like helps you to disambiguate these minor characters. And, you know, instead they went blonde and brunette. And so that seemed weak to me. I will say if I didn't know that Leanna Mormont was playing Angelica, I would have no idea which one was Angelica. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think they have good energy like the, you know, immediately between Lyra and them is like you can feel the tension. The, mm-hmm. and that's fine. They don't feel menacing enough. They don't I, you know, I don't know what's going on with them. It's the I think it's the weakest part of the adaptation. Interesting. I, d- I liked them. I liked the energy that they brought to the role. I liked the dialogue. But there was yeah. something about the scene with the cat specifically that, yeah, like didn't feel quite menacing enough to me. That's that's what I was saying earlier. Sorry. I liked them uh, in the scene with the, the bread and the drinks and when they were explaining the world. Mm-hmm. I thought that was great. Uh, I just thought the scene with the cat was useless. Like, wh- why even have it there if you're not going to do anything with it? Mm-hmm. Like, the cat was just mm-hmm. gone after that. So Will didn't talk about his connection with cats. It, we, I killed a man with a cat once. Did you know yeah. that? <laughs> but, but you know what I mean. So, like, there's a there's a specific reason that Will has a connection with cats. Yeah. Or, you know what I'm saying. Um, and, 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 like, you didn't really get across that these were vicious children who would do violence to Will and yeah. Lyra, given yeah. the opportunities. So there was just no point in that scene being there. I agree uh, completely. I did, however, really love the scene where we see the specter victim. 
Yeah. That was like that was good. creepy AF and yeah. And oh, like, yeah. so good. I like that yeah. he has like a kind of visual difference to him. He, he looks uh you could see like veins under the skin. Uh he's very pale. So it had like some kind of physiological effect or I don't know, maybe he's like starving cuz it's been days or something. Yeah. But um it seemed to like affect him more than just like He's not just an actor staring, right? They did a little bit more um, to make it creepier. I thought it was really good. And just the idea that you could be walking around this city and find these, like, zombies, basically. Like, that's creepy. And then they did have, I don't know, did we talk about this already? I don't remember if I've just thought about it or if we've talked about it. But they did have the scene where Will and Lyra discuss the electric and barrack thing. That whole scene, I think, was really well done. And they did a very good job of like in the book in that scene will and lyra's connection is all sort of internal like you get it from the narrator i i like it but in the show they obviously they can't do that so they did a good job of making it not necessarily about that one moment but about that whole conversation that they have where they realize that their worlds are connected and that there are that they're connected yeah, I like and I it. love just, like, the visual framing of them on, like, yeah. the opposite the sides of the stairs yeah. as, like, a reflection, parallel universe version of each other kind of thing. Um, I thought yeah. that was, like, really effective visually. Yeah, I, I liked that scene, so that was well done. You know, it's strange that everyone's gone with the Umbaric soul up. The what? The Umbaric, those lights. Oh, we call them electric. Electrum's a stone. I mean, it's a jewel which grows in the gum of trees and it gets insects stuck in it sometimes. Oh, you mean amber? So your world's like my world, but with the words mixed up. Or your world's like my world with all the words mixed up. The experimental theologians in Oxford would love this place. Did you just say Oxford? my world, there's a place called Oxford. That's where I come from. I'm from Oxford. That's where my window is. Two Oxfords, worlds apart. As a side note, I'm very pleased with my ability to contribute to this conversation despite having zero notes. (laughs) I mean, honestly, now you're like bragging. It's like a little bit annoying, but... I didn't even take notes. I'm like, all right. Okay. Uh, I'm compensating Sorry, for I'll... like my inner panic of 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 being like, fuck, fuck, fuck. What else? What are we missing? What? What? <laughs> so, religion. <laughs> religion. That was a good segue. I think. Yeah, I think we've covered all of Caitlin and Francis's notes, and I don't have notes. So, Alan, it's it's up to you. <laughs> This is the point where a lot of people tune out. So thank you for listening. Catch us next episode. Do we end the podcast and then? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and remember, always talk about religion. Don't don't take my last line from me. That's, that's my <laughs> job to forget it and come up with something yeah. on the spot. Thank you very much. I don't have much for religion this time. I think there's interesting things going on in terms of the visuals that I didn't ever think about, but now seem obvious to me. I think we talked about at the end of the first book, like Lyra is 
walking into a light in the sky and that, you know, like heaven on earth. And, you know, like Lyra saw a palace in the sky or the city in the sky. And it's like, you know, this, the city of heaven, the Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem that God lives in, in the, in the Bible. And now she's gone there and heaven is hell. It's empty and full of death. That reminds me of the beginning of Paradise Lost, where, you know, like all of this kind of started from the in Philip Pullman's imagination. At the very beginning of the poem, you don't get to see Satan trying to fight God and all of his followers. It starts with them crash landing in hell, getting kicked out of heaven, and they don't even know what hell is. And it's this big, empty, scary, bad place it's the same kind of thing. They're like defeated the way that Lyra was there. It's desolate. They're alone. And then they have this big meeting and what they decide is we know that God has a plan. He's going to create human beings and we need to ruin it because he put us here. And that's their plan. There's like, if God wants this to happen, then we're going to make it not happen or we're going to make it as bad as possible. And that's kind of Lyra's plan. You know, they're going after dust. My mom is trying to destroy dust. My dad is trying to take over dust. I'm going to protect dust. I'm going to make, you know, dust into, I'm going to learn everything about it. And it's probably a good thing because all of them say it's a bad thing. So I'm going to do the opposite of what they do. So I see connections between this poem and the motivations of the characters in the poem and the setting and the motivations of Lyra here at the beginning of the story i like that i especially like that framing of how each of the three of them relate to dust that like i think really clarifies it in a way that it was like very confusing to me when i was at this point in the story the first time yeah i think it helps that literally this morning i rewatched the finale and so like oh yeah (laughs) he kind of spells it out he's like I'm going to make the Republic of Heaven. And she's like, I'm going to murder children for fun. Uh, <laughs> God, I love Ruth Wilson. The, the, <laughs> but then he does the murdering of children. She's like, oh, I wanted to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but I like that she makes an ally of a murderer, you know, because she wants to accomplish her plans of like, fighting against the church and like the church that's supposed to be like a good thing right like in a, in a archetype of storytelling this is like the good institution of goodness and so that makes her evil you know in in a sense and murderers are bad people by definition but these are the heroes and those are the villains and everything is turned inside out exactly the way that it is in paradise lost we're not following jesus around in paradise lost we're following satan around and we care about his motivations and desires and capabilities and you know his like the way that he's got to get shit done and get out of hell and get to earth so that he can ruin everything you know like that's how this story is kicking off in this season is um heroes are boring they kind of are (laughs) right yeah if you met someone in the street and like, like, or maybe not in the street. If you, if you were in the pub, God, I missed the pub. 
if you were having a chat with someone, would you rather have a chat with someone who was perfect in every manner, just better in every manner than you could possibly choose to be? Or would you rather have a chat with people who had problems, had things which they weren't sure about, was not perfect, was fallible? And like, yeah, sometimes those conversations are going to be hard. Sometimes they're going to be um, challenging to do. But fundamentally, they'll be much, much more interesting. And in the same way, as a character, a character without flaws sucks. A hero sucks. Heroes are interesting when they suck. I think that's part of what makes Chittagatse interesting if you're thinking about it in terms of heaven as well. Because in that same way, like a heaven full of saintly good people is kind of sterile and like unchanging and boring. And that is what Chittagatse is. Like the adults that are in it are like sterile and unchanging. There's nothing inside of them. And exactly the way that you're saying, there's nothing interesting about that guy who's getting water, right? Because all of the interesting stuff has been sucked out of him. And that is like a picture of heaven that I think is simultaneously true, but is not like the way that heaven is ever branded. <laughs> you know, like it's going to, no, it's a great place. It's not going to be a party. It's going to be church 24 seven forever. Like how is that? That's yeah. the worst. Um, so like, you know, Chittigatse is very like geometric and uh, I keep coming back to that because I just think it's really important, especially when we were talking about the golden compass and like the mathematics of that, you know, like that's a mathematical instrument. And like this place, if you think of it as heaven, doesn't feel like it's for humans. It doesn't feel like it's for anything that's alive. It's like a monument to itself somehow. And that feels like how Satan would feel about heaven in Paradise Lost. And so that's the religion. That's it. I had one more thing on religion slash philosophy. No, I said that. Um, That's gone. We're done. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening to the podcast. Uh, (laughs) um, You know, there was, I really enjoyed, we actually touched on this earlier with Coulter talking about letting the Cardinal die and the philosophical and to an extent theological justification she gives for that is sort of around things like social darwinism and also a bit of the um whatever god wants will happen sort of approach um where she's essentially saying well if he's to survive then it's not for us to interfere in god's work is it mm-hmm. And also, if he's not strong enough to get through being stabbed in the heart, then <laughs> we don't need him. <laughs> we don't need him leading us. We can't have that. He's obviously not a strong person. And it's interesting to see, like, it's obviously not parody per se, but a bit of a. Uh, like it's putting those ideas out in the clear on their own and uh, most reasonable people look at that and go well that's ridiculous like how could you possibly believe that 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 these are the ways that we should like there's no there's no love in there there's no care it's just this purely they're not even pragmatic it's like actively maliciously pragmatic approach and it, i find that quite an interesting social commentary on that argument 
um, particularly of kind of from the socially conservative ilk of, well, we shouldn't help people because if they were meant to die, then they were meant to die or they couldn't help themselves. So why should we help them? It's obviously this is just Darwinism taking its course. And I've, en- I've encountered people who fundamentally believe that and I made them leave the party after that. <laughs> <laughs> good, good on you. But yeah, it's... <laughs> But yes, um, I, I found that a really interesting sort of approach, like like a, li- a little bit of a hey, maybe maybe people shouldn't think this. Maybe that might actually be quite immoral. It's like post hoc justifications that use mm. biblical language, you know, to like yeah disguise themselves. Yeah, which I mean, in a manner, you could argue that's sort of <laughs> what a lot of those arguments are. Yeah, is people. It, as you said, post hoc going, well, we've we found this Bible verse where if you read it in the right way, it completely backs us up. And you go, well, but is that really what that's saying? I think the good thing about that, I don't think that Coulter believes what she's saying in the way that, like, it's a cynical argument, but I think MacPhail believes what she's saying. Like, it's an argument that he buys. Yeah, he's, to, for lack of a better word, he's drunk the Kool-Aid. Yeah. He, he's in it and he uses this to justify the things that he does i just want to say it was flavor aid not not kool-aid what yeah i love that don't disparage didn't Kool-Aid. even buy the good stuff yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh god all right on from jamestown to uh <laughs> to the cave to the cave so next week we will be talking about episode two the cave If you like our show, please take some time to leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. I'm Anya, and you can follow me on Twitter at StrangelyLiteral. That's Strangely, then L-I-T-E-R-L. I'm Caitlin, and you can follow me on Twitter at InferiorCaitlin. Maybe you should- I'm Francis, and you can follow me on Twitter at Francis Windrum. Maybe I should- Oh, I do they know how to spell your name? Like C yeah, or K? It doesn't K, matter. Y, some I. I spell it I spell it the right way, okay? Okay. <laughs> it just occurred to me after I'm like spelling out my thing. You can follow the show on Twitter at MOTPod. Our podcast is not about soccer like some MOT pods are. Um if you need more than 280 characters to speak your mind, send your emails to contact at hollowgroundmedia.com. And remember, stand-up baths are important, even in lockdown. for this is where music goes is it i mean i enjoy how we put stupid shit in here but we don't have to like Mm do you mean the music (laughs) no i mean us being fools in the recording oh oh, oh, yeah it makes the editing we can just keep going (laughs) (laughs) and we can just edit in the music yeah um wait did someone say hate speech because that's problematic what <laughs> you said hate speeches oh uh, oh my god <laughs> i'm sorry yeah um
should have should have put a an adjective in there. I hate grandiose whatever. Um I it's fine. Is it's it? Fine. I just, I just have to like let go of my book prejudices. I disagree. I think you should keep them wholeheartedly. Right. Well, <laughs> Double down. I think in book three we never even see Ruda. Like, she... I think we should come up with a bet for what Caitlin has to do if by the end of the TV show she actually likes Ruda Scotty. <laughs> has to do but the last one drunk. I just don't think that I ever will <laughs> because like I have that's such punishment. You know, I have like twenty <laughs> years worth of hatred. <laughs> yeah that's fair uh all right so just sort of going through the episode point by point here how do we feel about oh no that's that was terrible jesus um <laughs> i just noticed that you're crossing off your notes as we discuss them nice yeah it's just organization I did off topic. I did notice that our cute episode titles do get lots of clicks. <laughs> Ruth Wilson, please hurt me. <laughs> God, I love Ruth Wilson. Anyways, she's so good. Maybe we should talk about her next. Great. Let's go into Caitlin's favorite topic now: Ruth Wilson and torture. Um... <laughs> also stabbing. Yeah. If you want to send me tea, go right ahead. I always love tea. Um, what's your favorite yes. British cookie? Hobnobs, Jaffa cakes, uh, bourbon creams, man. You mean biscuits? Biscuits. Yeah. I understood. Yeah. Also, Jaffa cakes was that? Jaffa Ooh. cakes? I don't know. How do you say it? Yes, Jaffa cakes. Jaffa cakes. Whatever. Rhymes with Jabba no, the Hut. This is important. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right all right all right i do have some plans today so let's uh okay hold on you mean in the Maybe. book in the book it's a boat yeah. oh. in the show it's a submarine what the fuck was that sorry <laughs> cheering just cheering right? i mean i'm up for cheering yeah especially yeah, for fine. submarines yeah yeah to, you want to I explain should... what you mean? Yeah, sorry. Any, also, yeah, anytime you say the word submarine, funny. I want to just start singing the Beatles. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, if I had a mute button for you, then I would use it there. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think um, like 95% of the times in my life that I've said the word submarine out loud, it's been <laughs> with regard to that song. So Yeah, that's, that's fair, actually. Me too. Um... <laughs> so, <laughs> sorry. Stop writing notes. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, fair. Um... <laughs> to be fair, that note's been in there since before we recorded. <laughs> no, but you're saying next episode. That made me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have some serious complaints about it, but I, we can't talk about it yet because it hasn't come up in yeah, the show. And, and none of us have said and have watched the next episode. So sh- Yeah, none of us have watched it, no. <laughs> I mean, the three of us, <laughs> you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, guys. I have no self-control. <laughs> It's okay. If I if I if I'd had time, I probably would have watched it too. So I understand. Uh, should I just start over? 
No. Okay. You just say whatever you makes like. you happy. <laughs> just start the podcast again. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, what was your favorite part? <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs>